And now, the Street Photography Magazine podcast with your host, Bob Patterson. Welcome back to the Street Photography Magazine podcast. I'm Bob Patterson, publisher of Street Photography Magazine. And we have somebody on who I've been wanting to get on for quite some time. Lucky me, she reached out to me first. And I should apologize to you for that because I've been wanting to get you on here for a while. No, it's a, it's a, it's a kismet then. So yeah, I, guess I so. like that. I guess so. And this is uh, Amy Touchette. She is uh, from uh, New York, lives in Brooklyn. She's a fine art photographer who specializes in street portraits. So we're going to talk a lot about street portraiture. And uh, I don't know, Amy, uh, welcome. I know we're chatting a little bit there. Yeah, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I love street photography, so I'm always game to talk to um, anyone who's interested in it as well. So I'm happy to be here. Thank you. I can talk about this stuff all day. Right. And I have to I have to be careful because I, I can go on and on for hours and nobody wants to listen for more than an hour. I don't know why. <laughs> yes, I know. My boyfriend is like, he's, you know, he, he, he really gets a an earful quite quite often but i think the reason is because street photography you know unlike many or all of the other genres of photography is so related to real life so it seems like it's not just photography it's real life and so it becomes a very expansive subject matter um that you know at the core i think you know is is really a, a investigation of the human race so that's an endless topic yes absolutely i've never heard it explained like that (laughs) and we'll have to go down that road while we're talking i'd love to yeah so before we get too deep into it why don't you tell us how you got into this of all things so i have to take a deep sigh because it's always you know this is a question that i get a lot and it was actually a pretty emotional beginning I um, had a career in a different um, field and I was growingly becoming unhappy. I was a writer and then I became an editor and then a managing editor. So I was, you know, I had a desk job and was responsible for 10 other editors. And I had a a real love for literature and writing as a kid um, and also art. But I chose to get a bachelor's and master's in literature in my 20s. And, um, you know, suddenly I realized through my promotions that I wasn't doing any really like editing or writing. I was in meetings and troubleshooting <laughs> and no one contacted me unless they had a yeah. problem. And, you Budgets. know, it was a real, yeah, it was not fun for me. And I um, sort of had a career breakdown. I was around 30 and I decided you know, I'm just not going to like give over to this job because it, you know, I could be at the office until all the hours. So I was just thinking, I'm just not going to do any more overtime work and sort of take back my life. I was, um, was a studio art minor in my undergrad and, uh, I was working on some paintings just as like, you know, Saturday and Sunday, just something to do, um, in the off hours in my kitchen. I just, um, nailed a giant, canvas to my wall and gessoed it and started making these portraits of jazz musicians. Mm. I was actually using black and white um, oil paint. And my inspiration was this book of of, um, jazz 
portraits, photographs that I had found um, uh, while I was studying literature. And so it's it's kind of interesting to me that um, photographs were beginning to eke into my life at that point. I didn't really know what was happening there. But anyway, so mm -hmm. I thought I'm not going to spend so much time at this job. I'm just going to like work on these paintings, which were so peaceful and it was so fun. And they were huge, you know, three feet by seven feet. So like the jazz musician's eyes were gigantic. You could really wow. get in there. Yeah, it was super, super fun. Um, and then that was like June 2001. I was living in the West Village with my boyfriend. And then shortly after September 11th happened and we were in the um, area of New York City that was cut off to traffic. And um, there was a lot of fear in the air. I know there was a lot of fear inside me. Um, and I was, you know, just sort of um, surrounded by the the violence and the sadness of that tragedy because of where I was located. Um, and also um, because I love New York and I love New York because I love New Yorkers and we were all in so much pain. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I remember, you know, on that day, it was a very beautiful day. Everyone had their windows open and um, I was watching the television and one of the towers came down and I heard this unbelievable I don't even know just sound coming from one of my neighbors of just absolute terror and you know it's just like anyway it's all very vivid if I go back there sure. um, and anyway so you know my brother my younger brother had also enlisted in the army a year before and um, we were all very worried uh, I have the ultimate respect for people who do who who enlist um that's not part of our family history so we were all just just kind of nervous but at that time in 2000 war didn't seem very imminent so it was just like okay mm -hmm. he's gonna do his thing and um anyway i was worried about him being sent over there and actually he was one of the first troops if not the first troop to be sent over there in operation anaconda so Ooh. by october i had you know my little brother in Afghanistan and we were, you know, emailing every day. And this is all to say, it just, it, um, I don't know how to explain exactly how much it changed everything for me. Um, this is, you know, despite having lost a loved one, like many people did. Um, so I just thought, my God, life is so short. I can't believe my solution to my career problem is to work on these paintings. Like I'm alive. Mm -hmm. I, I need to find out what, what I really should be doing here. And ignorant as it might sound now, I really thought like the world might be coming to an end. So I, I was like, you know, it's my mission to find out what I should be doing. And then I'll just be lucky if I can even pursue it. So I put everything aside that would get in the way of me figuring that out. I was 30, you know, I had this resume, I had these undergrad, grad degree. I really, really, really did not want to start my career over. I was a very ambitious 20 year old, 20 something year old, but, um, but I had this real um, strong impulse to get to the bottom of things. And so I took like a month and was just thinking about who I was and, you know, by the time you're 30, that could be someone different than you thought you would be. Like you can have a more honest conversation about who you are versus sure. who 
you want to be. Um, and, you know, just having jobs is really helpful. Like, do you want to work with people? Do you want to work, you know, not with me? Do you want to be inside, outside? Like these huge sweeping questions I was asking myself to get to the bottom of things. And, you know, during your 20s, when you have these jobs, a lot of things that you realize is what you don't want. Maybe you don't realize what you do want, but you realize what you don't want. And, um, you know, one of the reasons that I think I became a managing editor was because I, I was, I, f I feel like um, I had a very solid childhood. It wasn't trouble-free. There were um, some pretty challenging conflicts, but my parents raised me with a security. I felt very, um, I, I wasn't free of insecurities, but I, I did feel like pretty strong. And um, so I thought maybe I would, I should be a good leader. Um, and I think that that's how I got into that managing editor role only to realize actually I'm not a really good leader. What I am is, um, and I don't really wanna follow either. But what I realized through street photography is that what I like is to be alone in a crowd of many. Um, mm. And so it was just sort of a different way of evaluating myself. And anyway, after a month of you know putting all this into my brain and figuring out what was going on with me, I decided to look into photography. So I enrolled um, at ICP in a class with Jeff Mermelstein, who mm. um, is one of my favorite street photographers. And um, I knew who he was, and it was it was more than just photography. It was street photography that I was interested in, um, mainly because of what I was saying before. It's that these New Yorkers, so many characters. You know, it, that was part of this decision: is um, how do you you know capture the character of New Yorkers? There's many ways to do it, but for me, the camera seemed like a great vehicle. And it also, you know, when I really thought about it was the art of gaining someone's trust. And that was really interesting to me. And because I was looking mm -hmm. for a fulfilling life, I didn't want to just make art to express myself. I, I wanted to meet people and I wanted to learn how to cultivate trust. Um, September 11th was such a violent event and, um, the way that it reverberated around the world, like I just felt like humanity was so disconnected. And so I didn't think that I was going to solve the world's problems by becoming a street photographer. But I knew for me personally, I was in so much pain that um, that I knew it would help at least me to start connecting with um, New Yorkers and then, you know, the world as a whole. So. I enrolled in this class with Jeff Mermelstein. I didn't even know what an f-stop was. Um, I did have a camera. I always took pictures like many people, you know, put in my photo album of my friends and family and stuff like that. Um, but he taught us how to develop film. He taught us how to burn and dodge, um, print. And it was just really magical. Jeff is incredibly inspirational. Like he's extremely joyous about street photography and it was very contagious. He also um, gave us the assignment before class started, before our first class started, to go to ICP's library and look at The Americans by Robert Frank. Mm. So <laughs> despite the fact that I had had some art training and, you know, learned, I, you know, I took an art history class in undergrad and stuff like that, I had never looked at photography as an art. I had never 
tried to um, visually decode a photograph or really look much more deeply into a photograph because of the relationship that I had, you know, with it, just through photo albums and stuff. So, um, you know, he also put in front of me one of the most amazing books of all time. <laughs> you know, he just like started me like off and running. So, and I know, you know, I, I'm, um, you know, somewhat friends with Jeff and um, I've been able to tell him the story and give him a, a whole bunch of thanks because um, I really can't explain to you how lovely that beginning was. And, um, you know, after photo one, you know, I was still like trying things out. I, what I did was I asked for a freelance position for my managing editor position after a few months of looking into photography and became a freelancer. So I effectively became one of the people that my editors would hire. So I just sort of like went back um, so that I could make a living. I'm not independently wealthy. So I do have to, I did have to think about the math of, of this career change. Um, and so while I was doing that, I took photo two, then photo three, a documentary course, a lighting course, um, Anytime one of the photographer, a photographer would come through ICP, who I admired, um, Andrea Modica, Mary Ellen Mark, I would take their classes. Um, just a you know a bunch. I basically you know created my own curriculum through ICP's um, continuing ed program, and um, most of that was just because I wasn't sure about photography. You know, I, since I didn't know what an f-stop was, I wanted to take things you know slowly and make sure I was going down the right path, but. I was, and it felt pretty great from the start, but I was still, I wanted to make sure I was being honest with myself. So it didn't make sense for me to like, you know, get all in on some big, fancy, expensive degree. Um, and so I just ended up training myself. Um, I mean, I consider ICP my alma mater and I am extremely loyal to ICP. I love ICP. I am now um, one of their teachers for their full-time program and in their continuing ed program. And I'm just a real cheerleader for that school. I love the community. I love the people that I meet there. Um, after I finished taking courses, I ended up being a teacher assistant for many, many, many years. Um, and that was really great. I could use their facilities for free in exchange for my time. And pretty much used the same um, sort of way of thinking with teacher assistant. If there was a class being taught or a teacher coming in who I was interested in getting to know, then I would just um, contact them and see if they would have me as a teacher assistant. And so this is a great way also to just build relationships with teachers. And um, you know, I feel like one of the best things that ICP ever did was put the word international in their school <laughs> name because it, it's sort of like a calling to the world. and many of the students are international and it just makes for a really rich classroom discussion. This last class I taught in September was um, 15 students, 13 of which of whom were not American. And it was just fantastic. And that was not unusual. Um, and so anyway, big fan <laughs> of ICP, big fan of ICP. And, um, and, and that's sort of where I am now um that's that was you know 20 years ago and i'm so glad that i didn't talk myself into feeling old and <laughs> um you know insecure about making a, a big career change um because it you know finding photography is like one of the three best things that 
ever happened to me in my life. And it, it pervades my life. It feels, you know, more like a lifestyle than a, a career choice. So I'm, um, I'm, I'm happy that I went through all that, even though it's bizarre, if that's the right word to no end, maybe confounding is better that something so tragic could yield something so beneficial. You know, I just, I don't get that, but I know that that happens in life. And I oh. guess that's something to keep in mind, you know, when, when we all get into these tough spots that, you know, some think, silver lining might be await, waiting. Yeah. I think sometimes a tragedy and that's one of the worst, obviously, can can be a wake-up call and cause us to rethink things, rethink what we're doing with our lives. I mean, we are only here for so long, so what are we going to do with that? And yeah. it, obviously, it did, it did that for you. Yeah. Um, I almost oh. feel like I, I owed it to the people who perished in a way. It was very strange. Hmm. It's very strange. Have you ever gotten to know Gulnara since you're in? Yes. I mean, she was like one of the first photographers on the scene. I know. Gulnara is. I don't know if is, you've ever talked about that with her. You know, I haven't, but yeah. um, Gulnara Samulova, I, I yeah. hope I'm saying her last name right. Mm -hmm. She started, for your listeners, she started women's street photographers on yeah. Instagram, mm -hmm. but were, were sort of. Um, um, bypassing the fact that she was one of the first photographers down there, which I don't mean to do yeah. because she, her photographs were, I mean, she's just a really righteous photographer and person and um, something else. Yeah. I appreciate her so much. Um, but anyway, she started women's street photographers. Yeah. And so we, you know, eventually connected and uh, I'm a big, big fan of hers. Yeah, me too. I have, I have the book. I bought the book when, as soon as it came out. Yeah, I, me too. But well, I, I didn't buy it because I'm in it. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I got a copy and it. it's quite, quite beautiful. It I, was is. Very, I was honored to be in it. Very well done. So many people struggle and struggle to try to get published. She pulled that off, it seemed like, without a hitch. I'm I sure know. it was a lot of work. I mean, but uh, yes, just, just, you know, get, getting a publisher like that to um, first time around was, is, you know, it's a very impressive. So, yeah, you know, it's it's also street photography has been um, historically a male dominated field. Yes. So I, I have to imagine that um, publishers were um, enticed by the idea of, yeah. you know, discussing a women's perspective on, on the genre. Yes, it is male dominated. When I look at our statistics, our subscription statistics and our podcast listeners, and there's a lot of great women out there shooting on the streets. So, yeah. yeah, it's it's funny because I, you know, I go out with a Roloflex camera is what I use mm -hmm. when I am on the street. And I um, it ends up often getting me portraits because it's such an unusual looking yeah. camera. And most people say to me or, you know, if they strike up conversation, oh, my dad had that camera <laughs> or my uncle had that camera, like never their mom or their aunt. You know, it was, no. I don't know. It was maybe because it was technical science based I, I don't really know uh, i don't really know but by the, by the way my son has one <laughs> not my dad but my son has one <laughs> and your daughter my daughter no my daughter is more of a painter mm, i can relate and, to that 
Yeah, yeah. I, I tell you what, though. I mean, years ago, I we went out to the park. She had a camera, and I had one. We're taking pictures of the exact same thing. Scene. Hers are really compelling, and mine are like, eh. We're standing right next to each other. How does that happen? She has a great eye for composition. Well, I think you can take credit for that since you made her. So I think even if you didn't see it, you made someone who saw the composition. So well, you can rest uh, easy. I would give that credit to her mother or to my mother, oh. who was a painter and a photographer. Wow. Okay. So it's, it's in your lineage. Oh my gosh. A framer yeah. too. How cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she was. Well, anyway, so what's your definition of street photography? <laughs> um, well, you know, if you go by Bystander, do you have that book? It's the uh, Colin Westerbeck and mm -hmm. Joel Meyerowitz. Mm -hmm. I don't have it. But big, it, thick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's sort of, I don't know if it's considered the Bible of street photography, yeah. but I don't really know any other book quite like it. And, you know, their definition of photography is candid photography of strangers, you know, a, a photographer making candid images of people they don't know, mm -hmm. hopefully without them knowing. So, you know, I'm like sort of butchering their definition, but no, that's the core of it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, where does that leave street portrait photography? No one really talks about it or if they do i haven't really come across how they suss it out you know i think it's kind of a fruitful discussion to um think about just um to intellectualize photography can be pretty fun and pretty edifying because it's mm -hmm. um, such a in my mind when you're actually making street photographs it's very much not a thinking pursuit it's very much like a feeling pursuit yeah. so it's nice to come home and sort of suss out the intellectual ramifications of street photography and um, all that business. Yeah, I've, I've had many people say to me, portraiture, street portrait, that's not street photography. Because it's I, not candid, right? Because it's not candid. I happen to disagree. I probably have a broader, uh, I don't even have a definition, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I struggle with people ask, what, what is that? You take pictures of streets? I don't get it. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. But um, no. And obviously, you know, yeah. street photography can, can happen inside. Uh, I yeah. think, you know, I any, you. any, any public space, a mall, you know, you could make street photographs there. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, that said, um, Deanne Arbus is included in Bystander and they do stay mm -hmm. in the foreword, you know, that, you know, there are uh, other photographers like Deanne included in this book, but our, you know, overarching definition is what I just said. So, you know, and, and Joel Meyerowitz is, you know, was basically her contemporary. So they would see each other out in the streets. And um, I know for a fact um, that Deanne Arbus considered herself a street photography um, just only because I, asked her daughter, who's a good mm -hmm. friend of mine, if she considered herself a street photographer. And she said, I, she very much did. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I've been, I've always been trying to think like, because I teach street portraiture and this conversation comes up, like, how do you, how do you actually, like, what is the difference between that Westerbeck and Meyerowitz definition and, um, and where does street portraits fit in? And I was thinking, you know, maybe it's like, 
the black sheep of street photography, or nah. maybe it's the yeah. stepsister. Like I've been trying to come up with some sort of metaphoric or, you know, analogy or something like that. And I had the thought the other day, maybe street portraiture is just like the slowest kind of street photography. So if there was like a slider, you know, like when you're using tools online or something, <laughs> like Gary, Gary Winogrand would be all the way to the right. Uh -huh. He's very quick and very anonymous and well, as anonymous as he could be, as invisible as he could be. And then maybe Deanne Arbus is all the way to the right. Deanne Arbus and others like her, Gary Winogrand, others like him. And, you know, she's just, she's just like really slowed it down. So, um, you know, and then that obviously changes um, each photographer's relationship to invisibility. Like if Deanne Arbus is introducing herself, then she's obviously not invisible. So, um, but, you know, you can make yourself invisible after you've been, after you've made yourself visible too. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. so um, I, you know, then it gets a little dicey, but I just thought maybe just talking about it in a matter of speed would make sense. Um, I don't know, just, just one thought I had. I like that. I've never thought about it that way, but you know, that's a good point. I mean, we were talking earlier before we started about Harvey Stein. Yes. Who I think he's a street photographer, did a great one. And he almost always engages with this subject. Yeah. You know, I think for some people, because I make both kind of pictures, um, the Gary mm -hmm. Winogrand type and the Diane, the Diane Arbus type. And I love them both. I actually, I feel like if I didn't do both that I would feel a little uneven, like it definitely brings some balance to my, um, my street portrait photography, but you know, there's something, it can get a little empty when you're making, for me, when you're making spontaneous impromptu, um, pictures without engaging with people, it's super fun. It's super challenging. Yeah. Um, and you can get these really candid moments that are just like, very important, I think, as historical documentations of um, where society is. And, you know, I, I get a little nervous because I know there's a lot of talk of consent nowadays and um, this kind of street photography that we're talking about right now is, you know, can be contentious for some people ethically. Mm -hmm how you know can you take someone's picture without asking them like is that respectful is that disrespectful um you know and that's obviously a gigantic conversation a lot of it is how you do it and what you do with the picture after as far as answering those questions of respect um but for me that that can be super it can be a very lovely way of making pictures but it can also feel empty and so that's why I love to make street portraits as well, because I do want to say hello and I do, I do want to meet people um, for the, for the reasons that I told you that I got into photography when we first started talking to me, that was very important. Um, just as important as creating some sort of candid historical documentation of, of now. Um, so, um, you know, I don't know. I, I think Dean Arbus wanted to pierce the surface a little more. I'm not sure she was a huge fan of Gary Winogrand's um, sort of pitting them against one another, which is not so fair, but I'm not sure she was a big fan of his um, because he seemed so haphazard and, you know, oh, okay, you know, so you got this picture. It just, I, I'm not sure it really made sense to her. So, um, 
you know, and I feel similarly in that I would like, I would like to pierce the surface just a little bit. You know, I, I don't want to be a documentarian. I don't necessarily want to go into their houses and, you know, start getting super involved. Um, but I do, I do want to meet people. I learn a lot by talking to people about them, about me. Um, those conversations are so valuable to me that um, I just, I'm not sure I would feel as fulfilled as a street photographer if I didn't also exercise that kind of street photography. Guy I talked to the other day said he just, he feels so much, for lack of a better term, better uh, if he knows the backstory behind the person that he's photographed. So, uh, and he was using the example of a, a gentleman he happened to sit down and have coffee with and, and he made his photograph and it turned out through the conversation that he was, uh, he was a fighter in a war. This is over in, over in Malaysia. And he, you know, so he, you know, he fought against communist insurgents or maybe he was one, I can't remember. And, mm -hmm. and, and so he said, when I look at that photo, now I know this is not just a photograph of some random man. It's, you know, he did this, he has his family and he's accomplished all these things. And yeah. it was much more meaningful to him. And, yeah. and if you remained a stranger, he could never share that information with other people looking at the photo. Right. And I think that, you know, you can even become close to some degree with with your subject without even knowing their name or their backstory. You know, sure. I, yeah. according according to like Dean Arbus's captions, it looks like I'm not I don't know for a fact, but doesn't seem evident that she always gets people's names. Mm -hmm. um, so you can still preserve this anonymity um, as a street portrait photographer. Um, so, for example, for me, you know, I don't, my first question is not, what's your name? Sure. I, I don't really care. Mm -hmm. I mean, not in a disrespectful way, but it's, yeah. so, no. yeah, so there's yeah. different ways that you can um, get close to people and, um, you know, trying to collaborate with a stranger making portraits on the street is just, it's very strange for a lot of people. They don't, you know, it's not often that someone comes up to you and says, I want to make a picture and they don't have, they don't know anything about you or, um, but I find that that kind of exchange um, while preserving an anonymity is the very reason that it becomes so fulfilling because, you know, I walk away with their image in my film camera. They don't mm -hmm. know what it looks like. They don't know what I'm going to do with it. A lot of people, people don't take my card. They don't seem concerned. Um, and to walk away after having that exchange is so, I mean, I just recalling it now, I get chills because it's huh. such a, a lovely experience. You know, the fact that they trust me um, and, you know, they were there presenting however they wanted to present. So they were in full, you know, they know the kind of picture I got. I mean, obviously they were there, um, but they don't have control and, and they know that and they're okay with it or else they would have said no. So these sorts of collaborations, I don't know, it makes it sound like a much colder exchange um, to use the word collaborate, but these sort of meetings are really super beautiful for me. And um, I learned, I learn a lot about 
um, you know, my own shortcomings and um, my own blind spots and um, all this really important stuff that, that I'm out there, you know, I just want, you know, to be a better human being and um, street photography was my, my vehicle for that. And it's just been, it's given back a lot, <laughs> very, um, you know, I don't have a trouble-free life, but if I died tomorrow, I, I would not, you know, it would be okay. I would feel like I spent my life in a, a useful way. Wow. Wow. You know, um, we don't talk a lot about, about gear on here, but I do have to ask you, so why the Roloflex? What does it do for you? What does it do for your final image? Yeah. Well, you know, when I started photographing, I was using a Canon AE-1. So mm -hmm. that was 35 millimeter. Um, eventually, I had um, a little windfall. So I decided to get my all-time, you know, ideal camera. So I bought a Leica M7. So I was using that on the street. Again, another 35 millimeter. That's a rangefinder. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I was on the street, I started getting really into like specific people. I had these ideas. One of my ideas was uh, manifested in a series called Us, which mm -hmm. is something I observed was that, you know, people, some people walk around with like their twin, like these people that they sort of conjoin with, whether it's their style or their behavior. And I found this to be like a really beautiful observation of connection. So um, I don't know, when I thought about making this series, photographing people for this series, us, I thought this should probably be square. Like it just seemed very much more of a portrait than like a street vista, which mm -hmm. seems better for 35 millimeter rectangle. <clears throat> so, you know, not knowing if that was actually going to work for me, I bought a Yashica mat, which is like a $300, you know, twin lens reflex camera. And um, I actually took those images to a portfolio review long ago. And I met with Denise Wolf, I should tell her this, who, at Aperture, um, who was like, you need a better camera. You need a better, you need a better lens. Better, yeah. Because, you know, it's a yeah. $300 camera. And, you know, and so that was sort of my impetus to be like, all right, like, I definitely do want to go down this path. So it's, you know, let me get my pennies together and save up for the real deal. Um, one of my friends was a um, photographer, you know, back in the day and had like six Roloflex cameras in his little suitcase because he used to work in the studio and, you know, you only have 12 frames on each roll of film. And so photographers who would use these cameras in the studio would have a lot of them so that their assistants could always have them loaded and ready to use anyway. So he had, you know, more than his fair share of Roloflexes. So I bought one from him. Um, and, you know, haven't really looked back since. I mean, I just, I love the simplicity. I love the non-digital aspect of it. You know, I, I do have a DSLR that I use for jobs, but I kind of hate it. <laughs> just too, too much screens, too many, like you can push a button and not even know you pushed one and you're like, yeah. lost for a second so yeah <laughs> um not a, not a big fan of those i'm also i don't really like slrs you know they're just big clunky cameras and hmm. i feel like cameras especially in street photography you know they add to the dynamic of the exchange they're kind of like another person in the room with you or you know mm -hmm. on the street with you and they have personalities and i don't really like slr personalities <laughs> 
is, <laughs> you know, I, I, I like the twin lens reflex personality. It's cool. It's vintage, you know, it's different. It's, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it just really adds. Um, so I, the Rolleiflex is sort of like my buddy, you know, like my, <laughs> my assistant that, you know, as I said before, can even sometimes get me portraits because it's, it's got such a great appearance. Um, so yeah, this, so there's this, you know, moving to the square was very much about the portrait. I love the perfection of a square. Um, uh, it's just a different compositional challenge. Um, and I, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, really into it. I wondered if the, the fact that it's not blocking your face makes a difference. You know, someone asked me that, but, yeah. but you're still looking down. That's unless true. you yeah. unless you choose not to look in the camera so okay so then they see my part you know in my yeah. hair i don't know it does it achieve connection because of that i don't really think so i think it's i think it, it's first of all it's always the photographer that that initiates that sort of connection mm. um, yeah and, you know it has to be has to be you that comes to the situation with a lot of genuine heart you know, um, and that's, that's where it all starts. And then everything else is either falls into place or doesn't, or you work it out. So it falls in place or however it goes. Um, but I think, um, I think that's not a, that's not a huge part of, of the exchange for me. Yeah. And you were talking earlier, just along the same line, you were talking earlier about gaining trust, mm -hmm. which is, you know, the ultimate skill when you're when you're creating portraits and it, I mean is that a skill or is that just something that comes natural to you and in, in in the way you interact with people and the way you connect with them I mean it's not like you can write a blog post six ways to gain trust from your from your street portraiture subjects yeah but actually I, I have written <laughs> An article about that. <laughs> okay, I missed I, it. No, that's okay. I wrote yeah. it a long time ago, but yeah. um, but I do think um, no, it didn't come naturally to me. Um, but it was something that I wanted to learn, and so in that way, I, you know, I you know I started off right, but um, especially because there's so you know every person is unique, right? Every mm -hmm. situation is unique, so even if I've been on the street for a while, like I'm always still learning how to gain trust. It's never, it's never like you're there, you know how to make everyone feel comfortable. No, yeah. never. Because also people are in different frames of mind. So you could photograph one person one day, they're in this frame of mind, they're, they're down to trust you. And then, the, you know, one week later you see them and they're just like, you know, I'm not saying that that's ever happened to me, but I feel like people's state of mind, also your subject's state of mind plays a very big part in if they're open to, to having that trust relationship. But I do think um, it's like a muscle that you can strengthen through practice and that it is a skill. And I think, um, you know, you can convey trust wordlessly to people. And it starts with, I think, being a trusting person yourself. Obviously you should be trustworthy also, but um, there has to be some sort of exchange for you um, as far as your ability to trust other people. Like you can't ask someone to trust you if you never trust other people. So um, I think a lot of it is, um, you know, when I teach street portraiture, there's, it, it really just, the idea of gaining someone's trust 
actually really begins by investigating your own feelings about whether you think street photography is ethical or not. Because if you have a problem making a photograph of someone, either with their permission or not with their permission, then um, that's going to be problematic gaining people's trust because you're going to walk around timid. You're going to walk around like you're doing something wrong. And, you know, that that's just like the law of attraction is just going to it's people. It's going to be very hard for people to trust you when you don't believe in what you're doing. So a lot of the fundamentals of the of the um, street portrait courses that I teach, like just start right there. Like, let's break this down. Like what what is problematic for you and what is not and let's let's see if we can dismantle it and obviously street photography is not for everyone and so you know part of students taking this course at icp is figuring out like do they want to photograph on the street um and then you know some of the things that we talk about can be parlayed into other genres of street photography like straight up portraiture in a studio you know you're still having to make someone comfortable it's just like in a different situation mm -hmm. um but it's you know, it definitely starts with whether you believe that street photography has an important role in society. I happen to firmly believe that it does. And like I was saying earlier, like I get a little worried now that, you know, someone like Jamal Shabazz was saying, um, you know, it's harder to make pictures now. I don't know if you know Jamal Shabazz, but he's been photographing for decades in Brooklyn and he's a real hero of mine. And, um, you know, he was just having having, you know, been through the whole digital revolution and been on the streets, you know, decades before and now decades after he was just saying, you know, it's um, it's more difficult now. And hearing that, I don't know, it scared me a little bit because I think it's so important to have this historic like visual history mm -hmm. of where we've been for us to for the human race to to know itself. And like, for me, you can see the pictures around me because we're, we're zooming right now. But <laughs> what I do is I put up pictures that I that I love and that I think are important. Um, you know, it's like, like Robert Frank's the trolley in an image he made in New Orleans of a bus with <laughs> the black people in the back and the white people in the front, totally candid street picture, everyone's looking out the window at him. And it's like, how valuable that picture is it, just for us to know where we've come from and how messed up that was and of course he's not the only one that photographed race relations um but the point is i just i really believe in the importance of these of photographing people on the street and um it's it's the foundation of of gaining trust so it's something I, I think about a lot and it's something, you know, I do advise my students, like if you, if you, if intellectually you do feel like it's important, but like your heart is still nervous or scared or whatever, you know, put up these pictures, you cut them out of magazines, all the pictures you see around me, you know, are up here on my wall with blue tape. So you don't need a fancy cork board or a magnetic board or frames or anything like that. You can just use like the blue paint um tape and you can move them around and the walls won't you know get all messed up and um you know it's just a it's a way to be sort of playful about images but also to surround yourself with the images that you think are important and so by the time you go out into the street they've sprinkled into your <laughs> brain and you've infused yourself with 
the importance of what you what you are up to subliminal yes i never thought about that i mean it's part of it you know yeah yeah. there's there's a lot but you know there's something to that i think um no it's 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 funny you bring that up because i mean just in my own case a lot of times my my mother's voice comes into my head we were talking about my mother again you know (laughs) don't bother people you know don't upset people um and you know sometimes that's in the back of my head not you know not out loud but it's there on the street yeah i don't better not bother these people do something they don't like but uh yeah well that's you know know, it's i think it's also why it's important to consider your boundaries on the street so for me like i um i photograph people without asking their permission but i don't photograph people um I would never photograph someone without asking if they are like down and out. You know, I would never photograph a homeless person without asking them. I would never, I would never photograph someone drunk or picking their nose or, you know, in any, or, or living out some situation on the street that any rational mind would understand they would prefer to not be living this in public. Yeah. So I set those parameters for myself and that helps me also navigate the street with confidence because mm-hmm. I know that all the pictures I'm making are celebratory and they're not mean. Like there's a decent amount of mm-hmm. mean street photography out there. Yes, there is. Um, that, that, that gives street photography a bad name. And I'm, I'm such a, you know, I'm so mad about that kind of photography because I I just feel like it just um, is not the point. And there, you you know, there have been times and I've made pictures of people that um, surprised myself. Um, But, you know, I I have broken the rules that I just stated, but it's not very often. And when it happens, I almost feel like it's an outer body experience because like my, my finger just clicks the button and it just, it doesn't happen very often, but it has happened before and you know so we make rules and sometimes we break them but that that helps to operate you know with with those ideas in mind so that if anyone does stop me and say hey you know did you just take my picture or why did you just take my picture i already know the answers to that because those answers are the truth oh the light looks so nice you look so mm. peaceful your dog is so cute what was the truth you just say the truth and because because you're not up to no good, the truth is on your side. And that's another way to help you sort of navigate um, the streets with a, a confidence. And, um, and and this all ekes into your presence as a trustworthy person too, because like I said, you, you aren't up to no good. So, and you know, people sniff that out. People are, you know, smart, they're trans, they're intuitive and mm-hmm. they, they pick up on, you know, just like that's, that is where intuition comes from, you know, all these wordless things. And so I think I'm going to butcher this, this quote, but I think it was by Roy Disney. He said, when the values are clear, the decisions are easy. Is that what it is? Hmm. Something like that. So, you know, your values and you don't break them. Uh, maybe, maybe every now and then, if you, but uh, yeah, I, I think I that's a great way to put it. Yeah. yeah. And so that's why it is great to 
attend a class, you know, on this stuff that really mm -hmm. makes you think about it before you go out there, um, you know, so you're not being fed to the wolves because, <laughs> you know, it can be it can be kind of crazy out there. And and if you're a street photographer, that's part of why you like it. But it's not all oh love and <laughs> trust yeah. and you know there's no. like some some you know really 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 difficult things to observe i've made some you know huge mistakes um in in just the way i've handled things um and i'm i'm almost happier for those experiences than i am for these really um emotional like bonding experiences because it just moves me forward more as a person so that mm -hmm. I can, I can see, oh, wow, you know, this is something, you know, I have to learn and change about myself. I don't know if you ever saw the website. I don't know if it's around anymore. I hope it's not called the people of Walmart. No, it's a, oh. is it an Instagram? Uh, um, no, it's a website. It's probably migrated to Instagram, but it's photos people take of other people in Walmart that are really? not very flattering yeah people in oh well i mean it's it's not nice and wow. so i tell myself you know if i get attracted to something on the street and i and i say am i you know am i trying to be people of walmart <laughs> don't don't be that person yeah pow people of walmart people in walmart yeah <laughs> I was the just new, in Walmart new, this morning. Oh my God. I hope you didn't make any mean pictures. No, I didn't make any. <laughs> I got my flu shot. That's oh, it. good for you. Good yeah, for you. That's right. Wow. Yeah. I can't believe that website exists. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is what it, like look, mind blowing. Uh, yeah, look it up. I, I here I am promoting something that I don't believe in. Don't do well, it. But look well, it up and, and yeah, yeah. No, you're pro you're promoting, you know why not to do it and i i feel like probably if you look at those pictures anyone with a heart would yeah it's see pictures of people you know with pants too small bending over you know right. things, things like that and right and uh i actually took a few and i thought wait a minute what am i doing yeah I yeah because saw. yeah in a way you know i mean i'm not i'm not trying to give people an out but i but i do understand what you just expressed there because i think sometimes it gets confusing um why you're photographing you know because it, it can it can become so impulsive um but it, it, i feel like if you do the thinking before you're out there then the impulses to do stuff that you your ethics don't agree with is decreased yeah yes the values have to be clear Yes. Wait, so um, Disney of Disney? That Roy, yeah, Roy the, Disney. Ro from the Disney uh, family? Yeah, Walt Disney's brother, who hmm. I guess took over the company after he passed away or got, got sick. Okay. I just then I heard this years ago in something. Uh, um, it was like a an audio course or something I took, and it always stuck with me. Yeah, except the exact, <laughs> the exact quote. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. We got the idea. I'm going to look that up too. It's a great quote. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm going to make a note here to that'd be a good thing to put in the magazine. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, let's see, Disney quote. Uh, oh, yeah, I just want to ask you some, one thing real quick. What film are you using? Um, I use, let's see, I'm using. Um, Kodak NC Portra. 
So, you know, and then that's what I use for my Roloflex. And mm-hmm. then my other camera mm-hmm. nowadays is my iPhone. Yeah. So at least street street portrait wise. So yeah. that doesn't take any film, as you know. No, of course. <laughs> but you know what? But those photos look a lot like your like your Roloflex photos. Are, are you using a filter? Or yeah, I, I do. I love I love the Instagram filters. I think they're super fun. I love all their little levers. I definitely um, that is another difference with the images that I make with my Roloflex. I don't crop my Roloflex images. Um, and obviously, I'm not using any filters and stuff like that. But the iPhone stuff I crop, um, I sharpen, I use whatever tools I can um, through Instagram. And that's a really super fun difference for me. Um, I do really like eye contact. And so that's why I think they look a lot like the Roloflex images because the Roloflex images for your listeners who don't know are very straight on um, eye contact photos, um, very direct. And um, so I sort of, you know, I wait when I'm using my iPhone, I I like to wait until someone looks my way or I try to anticipate them looking my way and, you know, being there to capture the moment. And sometimes I capture it. Sometimes they don't, you know, end up doing what I want. Yeah. And so I, then I just sort of edit for those, for those moments. And I just find eye contact really impactful. Um, and I'm just, I've just sort of become like an eye contact junkie. So, you know, so that's another thing I am making candid photographs, but people sometimes, you know, see me because I'm waiting for eye contact, either they're looking over my shoulder or they're looking straight at me. And maybe they think I'm taking their picture. Maybe they think I'm making a selfie. Maybe they think sure. I'm on you know, some people know right away, you know, other people know or don't care. Other people aren't sure, you know, so it, the iPhone is, it's kind of a great um, camera for, you know, the Gary Winogrand type of images. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel like if he were alive today, he'd probably be using it. Um, so I just, I've really just sort of exploited both extremes techn- technologically, you know, what the iPhone is really good at, just kind of exploiting that to no end. And then what the Roloflex is really good at and exploiting that to no end and um, working on both ends of the spectrum is um, just like I said before, like it's really balancing. I really, I really enjoy it. So when you're, when you're shooting with the Roloflex, are you using a light meter or do you have like sunny 16 burned into your brain? <laughs> um, actually there's a meter inside the Roloflex. Oh, there is. Oh, okay. Mine. Yeah. It's a 33.5 F planar. Um, I think it's center weighted, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's not, it's not perfect. It's not. Yeah. Um, but when I go out to use it, basically I, um, you know, I go on the side of the street that has the lighting that I prefer, which is yeah. the shade, shady side of the street. So there's not a lot of highlights and dark, dark shadows. And um, first thing I do when I step out my door is meter, meter my own skin because mm. I'm always making portraits. And then when I meet someone, um, usually I have a moment to refine, you know, my settings based on their skin tone. Cause that's, that's what I want to be um, exposed correctly. And, um, you know, if their skin tone is, is darker then I, you know, open, open up my aperture or whatever I'm, you know, decide to sl- slow down the speed or whatever. So, but basically I'm always, you know, if, if something happens too quickly, I'm usually not too off. Um, and there's a little bit of, um, give and take in, in the negative. So I can usually correct, but I like to be, I like to be ready to take the picture so that I, I don't take too much of, of a stranger's time. Sure. Do you normally take more than one? I take two. 
So the, yeah, the first image, I, um, I'll tell them to look into the lens, but otherwise let them present the way they want to. And then the second frame, I might give them some more direction. And then that's it. And a lot of it is, um, again, so I don't take up too much of their time. Like even if someone is, you know, out in the park hanging out, like they don't necessarily want to hang out with me. So I try to be really <laughs> aware and, and respectful of their time. Um, and, you know, as far as the first image goes, like I really want people to feel comfortable and I want them to feel like um, they have lots of room to be who they are and present who they are. And, um, and then they're usually cool if I try to refine a little later, you know, some people really want to be told what to do. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll just address that if that seems to be the situation. Um, but a lot of times the way people present in the first image is so beautiful and so beyond anything I could ever conceive. Um, I just really like to make that space for that too, you know, and um, I would say, you know, 50-50, like sometimes I prefer the first image, sometimes I prefer the second. So that's, that's pretty much how I do it. And then yeah. if I don't, if I don't get it, you know, I don't get it. Like I don't, obviously I want to make a picture of this, you know exchange but um for me photography is so much more about the exchange than than the photograph and you know maybe that makes me the world's worst photographer <laughs> but <laughs> for me it you know it's it's like it's like the cream that rises to the top but like there's all these other things that support just those photographs that we're able to share with people um the streets are super rich you know i often wish i was recording audio because there's a lot going on and uh, and um, there's a lot to celebrate. There's a lot to learn and there's a lot to document about where we are, you know, photograph what's going on today. And in 20 years, you know, we're going to want to know. So. Yeah. Yeah, you are. That's funny. A friend of my wife just sent her a link to uh it was an article on the web. It was about a photographer here in our little town who had been documenting. The guy's like 97 years old now, so he's been documenting life around the town for, you know, 70 years or so. Wow. And it's a collection of his photos. And, uh, yeah, so she just sent me the link to the article, and I opened it last night. And that's exactly what I said. I go, wow, this, this is really cool i mean the town is so different and the people are different we are in the south so things were a lot different 50, 50 years ago than they are today yeah and um incredible so, yeah so that's one of the things i'm going to do this evening is dig into that a little deeper because i didn't read the article yet yes that's fantastic that's what yeah. you call a long-term project <laughs> yeah yeah a lifetime well and that's what you're doing yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you what do you get out of all this? Or maybe you've already told me. Yeah, I probably have. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's there's so many things to do with one's life. Sometimes I think just finding some one thing, you know, it can be a little overwhelming, all the options. And I feel mm -hmm. like sometimes yeah. just like finding one thing and choosing to see the world through that um can just bring a lot of clarity and focus and i don't know peace actually um i know there's you know i i, I like think multimedia artists are like geniuses for you know 
artists who just like think on all these different terms, like they have more yeah. of this conceptual, incredible, you know, incredible. I, I'm not like that. So for me, um, finding photography was just like, yeah, it just brought, it just brought some clarity and a lot of meaning and a lot of what I learn as a photographer on the street, I can apply to my non-street photography life, which obviously exists, you know, um, <laughs> engaging, engaging, disengaging, like all this stuff, like looking people in the eye, all these things, they're really interpersonal skills. Um, and then you have the camera, you know, and you have to learn how yeah. to, but really the majority of street photography is, is interpersonal skills. And, you know, those can be parlayed into every aspect of life. So for me, it's like a life lesson that I get, I get taught every single time I go out there every single time. Well, 21 years ago, you made a decision to make this move. Yeah. And so how has it, how is it now compared to what you envisioned it to be? You know, I'm one of those people who like, I don't really have visions of the future. Mm -hmm. um, like I never, I don't, I never have a five-year plan or a 10 year, like, and you know, maybe that's a problem, but I, I never, so. well, thank you. <laughs> um, I, I never really thought about, I always sort of wanted to stay in the present moment when I was making this career change. Cause mm -hmm. I just, I just wanted to be true to myself. And so I didn't really have any expectations. I had no idea what kind of life that would bring. Um, I just knew I did not want to work in an office. You know, I do, I, I work from home now. I actually support myself still as a writer, as a freelance writer and also through photography, but um, as a fine art photographer, you know, it's pretty hard to make um, mm -hmm. the rent. So it's really helpful for me not to put financial pressure on street photography. You know, I, I do yeah. take photography jobs um, and, you know, I'll do them so long as I feel like I won't hate it. Um, and I'll ask the right amount of money so that when I'm there, I'm really happy to be there. You know, it's super important for me to make my client happy, obviously, you know. Um, and so I sort of check with myself before I say yes to make sure that, you know, I really want to be there. Um, so that's the way I've decided to to handle things. And it's worked out. I mean, do I do I have a big retirement account ready for me when I'm 65? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, maybe we, we should talk in 15 years and see how I feel about this uh, life change here. But no, hopefully that will change. And, you know, I'll somehow start to uh, save up. So it's not the life for everybody. Um, but for me, it's been really just everything. And um, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for the world. And when I think about loss or I always think, but I'll always have street photography and that that makes me a that gives me a lot of um, security about, I don't know, what my life could be. Well, you know, we've been talking for for a while now. And I've yet to ask you about your book. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> Who cares about the Who book? Who cares? Your book the book is, is just a... And you're on your way to Paris soon. Yes. And... Yeah. So in Paris, I'm going to show images both from the book, from which are Roloflex images. My book is called um, Personal Ties, Bedside Brooklyn. It was published by Show Publishing. They're based in Amsterdam. Came out in January of this year. Um, and it's a really beautiful book. I'm very proud of it. 
this, this, I live in Bed-Stuy. Um, this is my neighborhood. I still live here and um, means a lot to me because, because I live here. Um, so those images are going to be um, exhibiting at Little Big Gallery in Montmartre in Paris from November 10th to November 28th. I don't know when this podcast is um, airing, but, and that's, it's also going to um, comprise some of my street dailies, which are the images that I make with my iPhone. So, and I made a deck of cards with my street dailies on them. So that. those will be for sale. Yeah. So it's a really cute little humble gallery in Montmartre and I'm, I'm very happy to be able to celebrate it over there. Um, you know, these things are, it's super fun. Really, it's just like a way to be around people who love photographs and that's just always, always a great time. And of course, Paris is no, uh, nothing to sneeze at either. So I'm, I'm excited mm. to be set eyes on the Eiffel Tower and have cafe and you know, go to the cafe and well, I don't smoke cigarettes, but maybe I will just to be a person. No, don't do that. <laughs> they smoke a lot over there, man. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Pretty incredible. Yeah, maybe you could, I don't know, twist up a joint or something like that. I don't know. Is that legal? I know. It's not place. legal over there. Dan. Oh, okay. I don't know. <laughs> and I'm going to get kicked out of the country. Can't yeah, that wouldn't be good. You don't want to end up like Brittany Griner. Uh, we won't get into that. That's Yeah, that's awful. pretty awful. I know. So, um, so anyway, before we go, you've got to tell everybody where they can, can find all this stuff you're doing. You've got a really robust website. Thank you. Yeah, my, yeah. my website is my name, amytushat.com. And um, I also post on Instagram pretty regularly. regularly, And that's um, amy underscore tushet. It's a T-O-U-C-H-E-T-T-E. -E. And... I, I post on Facebook, but not that much. Um, it's just like an after, an after fact of, I'm sorry, an after, yeah, afterthought. Um, so those are, you know, pretty much, pretty much the places to, to see what I've been up to. Um, but yeah, if anyone wants to reach out on Instagram, I'd love to hear from you. I love, I love Instagram. Instagram is what started my love of iPhone photography. Um, now it's a little complicated because there's so many ads. So I'm a little bummed about that. And I'm yeah. hoping that they'll come out with some like subscription where I can like pay them $5 to just like make those ads oh, let disappear. Me see. Yes. Yeah. You know, like YouTube or something like, are they, I don't know if they're gearing up for that by like making us just like hate these advertisements. But, you know, when it first started, it was like very cavalier and everyone had funny handle names and yeah. now it's gotten serious and there's, um, you know, all these really cute dresses that they're advertising to me. And before I know it, I'm like on some <laughs> website in China, like ordering some dress for $25. You know, it's like, it's what working. has happened? I <laughs> totally. Uh, I'm getting smarter though, but it's, it's a real, um, it's a real problem for me. So I, I, I hope they'll stop that soon, but I, I am still pretty active on Instagram. Yeah. Why don't you keep clicking on those dresses? They'll keep coming back. Right. I know. Yeah. I just have to, I just have to, you know, restrain myself yep it's working that's why they do it i know damn them okay well amy thank you thank you it was really fun yes it was so fun it's so nice to meet you and thank you yeah. for all you do to promote street photography oh. you know we both love it so much but you're the one who's like really making this you know engine go so thank you oh you're welcome <laughs> I hope people thank you for all you do. I hope they do. Not enough. So yeah, I'll I take. bet. 
Yeah, I bet. No, and because there's a lot of administrative stuff that you're dealing with. Oh, yeah. And that's, you know, not the most fun. So I thank you. Well, you're welcome. (laughs) 